Thank you, worship team, for the songs that pointed us to Christ this morning. Appreciate that. Give glory to Christ for the salvation that is ours in him. It's a good morning to all of you who are here with us this day and uh, uh, to our you know, visitors and guests, as well as to some of our uh, more you know, newer guests, uh, other guests as well, and, and from some of your regular kind of regular guests, if you will, uh, seeing you here and a couple of times and whenever you're in town, thank you to have you, and, and then all of us are regular members and attenders, glad to have you with us today. Uh, we continue worshiping the Lord and through the study of his word, uh, through the study of his word, so if you take your Bibles and look with me to the book of Titus this morning, Titus chapter 2, uh, we're going to focus, uh, from, we're going to take a launch from verse 1 to another text in the pastoral epistles, but we're going to read all of chapter 2 uh, to give us the full context of this, this uh, chapter and where we're going to go today and the weeks to come. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read 1 through 15, 1 through 15. We've been going through this, uh, this book about the truth that leads to godliness, truth that leads to godliness. So Paul writes here in chapter 2, verse 1, to young Titus, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect." For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as your word is read and explained and exhorted, we pray that your spirit would take your word and that you would cause it to be understood by those who hear that you cause it to be received and to be obeyed by those who hear. Father, may you cause your word to go forth and convict those who hear. And Lord, may you take your word and cause us as a church to grow because we have heard your word. Not only we have heard your word and understood your word, but we have become doers of your word. Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified now through the preaching and teaching of your word. 
May Christ be magnified through it. Lord, we ask that your spirit would move among us now and that your spirit would do the work in in us today. These things we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This past week, uh, some of you, uh, or actually if you you look around, you kind of, uh, this room today, um, let me see, I'm trying to look and see who's here. Okay. All right, a few of them. Okay, I see, the, I see you. You kind of notice there are some, some men in this room that there's a little bit of a, like a glow in their face, you know? Like a glow. It's almost kind of like, yeah, well, you almost got to wear shades when you look at them. That's the, uh, that's the glory of having been at the Shepherds Conference this past week. Uh, some of you, and I'll say it on jest, but honestly, that's how often I felt when I came back from a Shepherds Conference. Shepherd, this past week was a Shepherds Conference. I kind of mentioned to you last week, but we, we sent out about like 20, 20 guys from this church, uh, from our English Candies ministry, a whole church uh, from all ages, from young to old. We sent our men to go and to, to not to, to, to be uh, fed the word of God. And so they were there this week, and there was a, I trust it was a blessing to them. Many of them got to be fed from godly men, godly leaders who preached and taught to them the Word of God. They partook in seminars and set breakout sessions. They attended, they had wonderful fellowship around food as well. And so they come back a little bit uh, excited. They're the ones that you like, they, they said, Let me teach this week. You know, they're the ones that went around, Yeah, I want to serve through the teaching of the Word this week. Uh, that's usually how I felt when I came back from Shepherd's Conference. Anyways, but, you know, you, when you go to the Shepherd's Conference, and I, and I know those of you guys that aren't pastors or church leaders and you may not have an opportunity to go, you're like, well, but just bear with me. You know, when you think about a pastor's conference, there's like, I believe, uh, I heard over 4,500 people. So maybe uh, with this, the volunteer staff of Grace Community Church there, I bet you it was about 5,000 people on campus this past week. To the casual observer, it just seems like the happiest place on earth for pastors, right? Was it not the happiest place on earth? Okay. You know, I don't know about you. But it does, it does seem like that. And it's just pretty fun because there's just food, food, food. I'm just talking about the preaching, you know? And then there's, then there's food, food, food. And that's the physical food that, that you give you. And then there's food, food, food. And all the books and literature and all the, the, and the bookshelves and the stores are like, wow, it is, it is literally the happiest place on earth for pastors. And you would think they all kind of just all, they go around, they're all very excited. They get the shoes shined. They get to buy good coffee. They, uh, you know, they, they get, I don't know what else they do. They got a lot of, a lot of nice amenities there. The, the church, Grace Amy Church, really just serves our, the pastors there. But you think that they're all kind of pretty happy and, and all that, but that's, that's just, on the surface, because every pastor represents a church. And, you know, if you kind of will take time to talk to some of these pastors, we send a group of 20, so they're, they're pretty happy. They're all just all boisterous. But if you come, in con- uh, come into a contact with, like, the solo pastor that's there, you know, he's, uh, he's there by himself. He's probably pastoring a church and, uh, under 100 people, uh, probably a lot less. He's pastors in a probably an obscure town in, uh, in the middle of America somewhere. And there's not a, a, there's, you know, just, he just faithfully serves. But he and well, many other pastors will have very heavy-hearted concerns. Sometimes it's sin issues. They have questions that they want answered. Sometimes it's huge doctrinal issues that are uh, from maybe false teachers come in their midst and they're dividing the church. There's always uh, potential. There's always sometimes there's trouble with fellow staff members, fellow leaders that these uh, these pastors come in just greed by. 
And if you get a chance and you hear their hearts, you hear the concern, you, uh, you, would, you would pray for them. Well, that's not everyone. But if you were to ask everyone there, what is their concern? There is one very basic, prevalent concern than any pastor, any elder, any church leader that would be there would have on their hearts as they go to a conference like the Shepherd's Conference. And they're often asking themselves in this question is, because of who they are, what can I do better to help the flock grow? What can I do better? I've been entrusted this flock by God. I've been called to be a shepherd of them, to, to watch over them, to care for them. What can I do better? I want to hear from these godly men out there, these, this wonderful church. What can I do to help the flock that I'm overseeing grow? And when I say grow, I, I definitely do think, especially for those 50% of pastors in the, in the United States serve in churches that are 100 or less. And, and it's a very small kind of home setting. And they're, gonna, they're thinking, well, what can I do more to reach my community, to bring more people to Christ? So physically, adding numbers, what can I do to, to make the, the church be more like an axe church, growing by the thousands, you know, they, those kinds of thoughts. But there is also a growth that every shepherd is concerned of, of spiritual growth, the, a growth in the hearts of everyone that's already in the church, a growth in, in godliness. There are people that we minister to week in, week out, and, and they will never go beyond just ministering and just being here on a Sunday morning. They will, they cannot, you can ask them to say, hey, can you be, would you like to be more involved in this particular ministry? That person, no, I'm too busy. Uh, and they'll stop right at just attending Sunday worship services. When there's so much that life and ministry that can be done in the body of Christ. Well, there are many answers out there to the question of how we can help, what we can do better to help the flock grow they come in the form of books and videos and programs. And you could have probably perhaps bought some of them at the Shepherd's Conference. You can buy them online. You can, there are, a lot of them are free online, in fact. But all the men who go to the Shepherd's Conference, they go there not necessarily to buy the books, not to watch a video, not to learn a program. But they go there wanting to hear, what does the Bible say? What does God say? I do want to see the church that I shepherd grow in godliness and Christ-likeness, to grow in seeing people come to Christ. But what does God tell me that I can do better? What can I do? What do I need to know? What do I need to remember? What do I need to strengthen in order to grow the church of Jesus Christ by the grace of God? Today's passage in Titus tells us exactly what we must do as God's servants to promote growth in the church. As you may recall, Paul has written Titus, uh, written Titus on the theme of, of truth, truth that leads to godliness. Truth that, and, he, and he introduced in chapter 1 that truth that leads to godliness must first be manifest in the leaders of Christ's church. That the leaders of Christ's church are to be examples to, that we would follow, that we would want to emulate, that we would want to learn from. Because they know truth that leads to godliness. I don't want to just know truth. I want to know truth that changes my life, that makes me more like Christ. 
And so Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders in the churches that are not just, not just gifted teachers, but they're godly men. They're godly men, Christ-like men. And this is particularly needed in the churches in Crete because there are many false teachers there, which we looked at at the end of chapter 1. But here in chapter 2, then, we learn that truth that leads to godliness not only is, must be manifest in the leaders of Christ's church, but it also must be manifest in the community of believers, in the believers, the Christian believers of, that are in, on the island of Crete. In this chapter that addresses basically five different groups of people within the Christian community, Paul bookends the chapter with two very similar exhortations. Look at them with me. In verse 1, he writes, and this is what we'll focus on this morning, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Titus, in contrast to the false teachers, you must speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then, at the very end, there he speaks, chapter 2, or verse 2 through verse 13, 14. At the end, chapter 5, verse 15, excuse me, he says this, These things speak, identical verb, and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. These things you are to speak. And these things refer to the things which were, uh, back in verse 1, the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Let no one disregard you. And the things which are fitting for sound doctrine basically will include all that we find in, in verses 2 through 14 of this chapter. It's when we think of chapter, Titus chapter 2, we often immediately jump to the groups, to the older men, older women, younger men, younger women. We want to find out, well, that's because that's, that's us. Uh, you know, I'm a young man. I'm not an older man. You know, I'm a young man. And, you know, I, well, well, at least I'd like to think I am, but I'm more an older man these days. But we find our group and say, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to listen. That's the word, God's word for me. But before we even get there, I want us to take this morning a little kind of excursus on this subject, this, this theme of sound doctrine. Because that's what we're going to find in verse 2 through 14, sound doctrine taught. But I want us to think about this theme because it's a very important uh, word in the pastoral epistles. This concept of sound doctrine. What is it? I think for most of us, we, we just sort of just kind of default think, well, it just means basically God's word. And essentially you're right. God's word contains sound doctrine. But I'd like for us just to look more closely at this. So we would be motivated to speak the sound doctrine. So we understand sound doctrine to the extent that it will motivate us to speak sound doctrine in our lives as well as ministry. So a simple outline, three aspects of sound doctrine. Very kind of generic outline today because uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a survey of sound doctrine. I'm going to look at all the different verses that, where the words sound doctrine, sound teaching are found. And we're going to try to uh, synthesize it into what God's word teaches. So a little bit of a systematic theology lesson for us today. All right. So let's take a look then. Number one, the first aspect of sound doctrine that we need to look at, that we must, we should understand, is the what of sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? What defines sound doctrine? Verse one of chapter two, Titus, Paul writes to Titus, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Before you can speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, you should understand what is sound doctrine. Well, the Greek word for sound sound, that's the first part of sound doctrine, appears nine times in the pastoral epistles. It only appears uh, uh, 
at least the verb itself, only appears three other times outside of the pastorals. So 12 times in all, the majority of them all here in the pastoral epistles. So it's a significant term. It's primarily Paul. Paul uses it when he writes to Timothy and when he writes to Titus. It's an important term for these pastors of the church. Now, what's kind of interesting is that this word, it's a, it's a, it paints a picture for us. The Greek is, I'm not going to pronounce it for you, but hugiano. I, I just did. Oh, well, I did. Anyways, hugiano. And, uh, but it, if you kind of sound it out, from this word, we get the English word, more importantly, hygiene, right? So, you know, we all know this word hygiene. It's kind of something that's emphasized. Oh, yes. <laughs> Man, oh, I can feel that heat coming down today. Hygiene, what does hygiene mean? Well, I don't know what that means. Do you have good hygiene or bad hygiene? Well, hygiene, at least just the common definition of it, is the condition or practices that are conducive to maintaining or strengthening our health, as well as preventing disease, right? So it's just those practices, those conditions that maintain health, strengthen health, and prevent disease. And so the word sound, when we think of it, basically refers to those things which produce health. But in our pastorals, it's not talking about physical health, but spiritual health. In the pastoral epistles, we find this word sound modifying coming before words such as doctrine here in verse 1. But it also is found in front of words such as teaching, uh, sound words, sound faith, sound in speech. And when you look at those words uh, that, uh, that it sound modifies, they all function synonymously for basically a fixed body of teaching. They refer to a body, a, a, sub, a very clearly defined set of teaching and instruction that is classified as sound, healthy. So sound doctrine then is that fixed, literally it means healthful teaching. It's that fixed body of teaching, the scriptures essentially for us, that is healthy for the church, that produces health. And that is conducive to maintaining, producing health, and preventing, if you will, spiritual disease in our lives. So this, uh, as we consider the other pastoral texts, not only in chapter 2, verse 1, we can formulate the profile of sound doctrine, kind of further defining for us what is sound doctrine. First of all, sound doctrine is that which is grounded in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. In First uh, Timothy chapter six, we read these words. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. So uh, Paul is kind of basically just talking about false teachers here, a different doctrine, basically a false doctrine. If anyone's talking about false doctrine, then and that doesn't agree with sound words, which are basically the words of Jesus Christ, then that person is conceited, is proud, is arrogant. He really doesn't know anything, even though he claims to be a teacher. In this verse, different or false doctrine is contrasted with sound words, right? It's opposites. Different false doctrine is different from sound, sound words. And sound words, then, are equated with what? With those of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 3. Okay? So the teachings of Jesus Christ and subsequently his apostles, 
essentially form the foundation of all sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is basically the teachings of Christ. Those things which are grounded in the words of Christ. And it goes beyond Christ's teaching. So it's not just, well, basically it's just, sound doctrine is not just the red letters in your Bible, which are basically the record of Jesus' specific words. But it's also the teachings of his apostles, Christ's apostles, who wrote uh, the majority of the New Testament. Whenever you read the general, and you find this particularly true in the general epistles. You think of uh, Jesus' disciples, Peter and John. They each wrote uh, uh, five epistles in all. Uh, John also wrote the gospel. When you read the epistles of Peter, the, Paul, the Petrine epistles, the Johannine epistles, you, are, can't be, you can't miss, especially the longer section, 1 John, 1 Peter, you're just struck by how much of their writings reflect the words of Jesus. Just kind of, if you ever just want to do a fun study, just study those books and try to find, oh, that's, that's just not, Peter's referring to Jesus' words here. John is referring to Jesus' words here. It's all throughout those books. They're, ref, they're just re, basically repeating the words of Christ and they're elaborating on it. Furthermore, when we think of the Great Commission, we're to teach what? We're to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that Christ commands, right? So sound doctrine begins with the words of Christ. It's, it's making disciples is all about teaching what Christ taught. What's more, it follows, too, that since Christ promised to build his church in Matthew 16, 18, then his church is going to be built then up by Christ. And if it's going to be built by Christ, it's going to be built by his, upon his words, Christ's words, the scriptures. So first and foremost, we formulate then that sound doctrine, that fixed teaching that is, produces health in the church is that which is grounded in the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Everything that all the apostles would write upon, elaborate on in the New Testament would basically go back to the teachings of Christ. Or about Christ. Secondly, sound doctrine is that which is going to be conforming to godliness. First Timothy six, uh, chapter six, verse three, further elaborates on this. That if anyone advocates different doctrine, that it's sound that does not agree with sound words, those are Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. That is, sound words are consistent not only with the rules of the words of Christ, but also with the doctrine conforming to godliness. Sound doctrine, sound words, is God, godly conforming words. It produces godliness in the life of the Christian. Doctrine cannot be, should never be, knowledge for knowledge's sake. Knowledge that doesn't make any difference in our lives, doesn't change our lives. It's knowledge for growth in godliness. Sound doctrine is going to produce in the Christian a greater love for God. It's going to produce for a greater love for Christ. It gives in us, produces in us a greater desire to glorify God in all that we do. Sound doctrine will make you more like Christ. The false teachers on Crete we're known for teaching their favorite doctrines. They're, they're adding to the scripture, their myths and, and genealogies. But in God, but Paul condemns them because their teaching resulted in ungodliness. Ungodliness. 
And that's what all false teachers lead to ungodliness. False teachers will never point you to, to live for Christ. They're going to say, these are reasons why then we can live our lives whichever way we want. Because once you observe these, these dietary laws, you're good with God. You just do whatever you want now. You've believed in Jesus? Okay, you've got your e-ticket. You, oh, nobody knows how that is. You've got your ticket. Now just go do whatever you want in your life. It's all good. You're, you're right with God. But that's wrong. Sound doctrine. The doctrine that is that the doctrines of the words of Jesus Christ, that which conforms to godliness, will produce, inevitably produce in us godliness, Christ-likeness. But before it does that, before it conforms us into, toward godliness, sound doctrine also fulfills a third purpose. It will do a three, third thing, and that is that it reveals your sin. Sound doctrine is that which doctrine which reveals your sin. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 is where I want to look at. Paul writing to Timothy says, talk about the usage of the law. Realizing this fact, the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. You see here basically a long list of sins. that The law is designed for sinners, essentially. The law is given to us so that we would know that we cannot attain to the glory of God. We cannot live perfectly righteous lives. We are all guilty and condemned before a holy God. And all these sins are contrasted then with sound teaching. These are all contrary to sound teaching. Sound teaching then shows really what is right before God. Sound teaching is not only necessary for the right use of the law, but it calls us to righteousness. It calls us to righteousness. Even if we cannot attain to righteousness, sound doctrine calls us to righteousness. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But who here can be perfect? So therefore, we must find the way, that how we can be perfect, and that's through the provision of Christ. The reality is none of us can live a a life of perfect righteousness. All of us in our own strength. We can't even live a life with a pattern of righteousness, much less a perfect righteousness, right? Sound teaching and the law reveal man's unrighteousness. It reveals to every one of us that we're sinners. And there isn't a single one of us that hasn't sinned. Sound doctrine will show you your, your need for forgiveness and your need for a savior. That's why sound doctrine also is that which is centered on the gospel of God. It's centered on the gospel of God. We continue on in 1 Timothy chapter 1 there. It talks about whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The sound teaching that reveals our sin is that which is, according to verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Is that which, uh, which is at its very heart, and it's, it 
points us to the gospel. All sound doctrine will point us to the gospel. And what is the gospel? What is at the heart of the gospel? It's simply this. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation. That the son of God, Jesus, the Messiah has come and he died in place of us and he rose from the grave so to provide for our salvation and our forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. It's not that we have to do anything. It is that this is what has been accomplished, what's been done for us by God in Christ. Now I would add that while sound teaching is centered upon the gospel, it is not equivalent to the gospel. Sound doctrine will ultimately lead to the gospel. It's consistent with the gospel. Sound teaching will communicate the holiness of God and the wrath of God against sin. Sound, do- sound teaching conveys the sinfulness and the helplessness of man. Sound teaching communicates the, the perfect person and sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. Sound teaching communicates the necessity of repentance and faith of the one who seeks salvation. Sound teaching is centered on this glorious gospel that reveals the glory of God's character, his holiness, his wrath, his love, his grace, and his mercy. See, all these things, apart from themselves, are not necessarily the gospel, but they all lead to the gospel. Sound doctrine is that which shows us our sin, shows us our need for our Savior, shows us who the Savior is, and shows us that when we, those of us who believe upon him, how we, can, we are to be conformed to his image. This is the what of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the scripture. Oh, really, if you could just, it's, it's, it is all of the scriptures. But what do the scriptures teach us? They drive us to Christ. They point us to, the, to the, gospel, the, the gospel of God. They are built upon the words of Christ, showing us our sin, revealing it to us, but demanding that we conform to godliness, conform to Christ-likeness. And you can't do it apart from Christ. So this is the, the, what is the what of sound doctrine. Now, the second thing we should look at sound doctrine is the who of sound doctrine. Well, who is this sound doctrine for? It's sort of obvious, but I'll, I'll just simply say this, that the sound doctrine is for everyone. It's for everyone. But let's show the homework. Let's show our work. Let's show that the scriptures is what, this is what the scriptures teach. In chapter 2, verse 1, we begin with Titus. That sound doctrine is for Titus. He says, Paul writes, but as for you, you singular. So he's talking to Titus alone. As for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So sound doctrine is the responsibility to be spoken of by Titus. He's in contrast to the false teachers. Young Titus is to speak the truth. And so we kind of, we can apply then this, this truth that Titus being responsible to watch over, to teach the churches in Crete, then this charge to him is really a charge to all teachers of Christ's church. If you are a teacher of Christ's church, you're, you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're, you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a fellowship group leader, you're a children's church worker, you, or any, you're, you're a parent, you have a responsibility. Well, actually, let me infer that. You're a Christian because you're just called to make disciples. We're all called to be teachers. This is what is entrusted to you. The responsibility to speak sound doctrine. But first it was a task given to Titus that he is to speak sound doctrine. 
The same was true for Timothy. Timothy also was to speak sound doctrine. Second Timothy 1.13, Paul writes to him and tells him to retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The verb retain is literally to, to hold, to hold as an example, a pattern. He had heard these sound words. Paul, I mean, Timothy had heard the sound words from the Apostle Paul. It had been exemplified for him as a pattern. And now he was to faithfully model that pattern of those words in his own teaching to the people on Ephesus. And they, in turn, would then model to others. And just as both Titus and Timothy received sound words from Paul, so they, too, in turn, were to pass it to others, right? You just think even, uh, even in our lives, someone passed on truth to us, taught it to us, and we, in turn, are responsible to teach it to others. For young Titus, that began, according to in the book of Titus, with the elders whom he would appoint in chapter 1, verse 9. So we see not only the, the who of sound, it's not only for Titus, not only for Timothy, but it's for the elders as well. There that we saw the qualifi- we've learned about the qualifications of elders, that they need to be God gifted men who are able to hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. See, elders must be able to exhort in sound doctrine. They must be able to encourage people in sound doctrine. To, and this, this idea of exhort is basically this word that means to come alongside. It's basically the, it's someone who will encourage you in sound doctrine. See, it's not enough just to, uh, to teach sound doctrine, to say this is what sound doctrine is. The elders of a church also must be gifted and able to t- encourage people to actually live out sound doctrine. Don't just know sound doctrine, do sound doctrine. Don't just hear sound doctrine, live out sound doctrine. Sound doctrine needs to be that which is exhorted, encouraged. We all need that, right? We all need someone to come alongside. Sometimes it's not, you know, when you've been Christian probably like five plus years and you've been faithfully attending, you know, uh, services, you've probably heard basically most of the general basic principles of the Christian life. You've understood the God, you should understand the gospel by now. You understand the basic, uh, the, the, the basic require the, the aspects of the Christian life. You could probably teach FOF, you know, if you're given the opportunity. Fundamentals of the faith class. But what we need is to be exhorted. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. That's why I often go to Shepherd's Conference. A lot of times I go to Shepherd's Conference, I, I don't hear something new. But I'm, I'm oftentimes, I appreciate it, because I, and I love listening online, because I get reminded, reminded of the things that I was taught that I need to hold firm to. And it encourages me, because I want, it affirms me, like, that, you know, yeah, I need to keep doing that. Oh, I forgot that. I, I, need, I should start, start doing that again. We need people to exhort in sound doctrine. And the elders are called to do that. That's their task. But that reminds us, that leads us that, to a fourth group that, that sound doctrine is designed for. It is designed for the people, the congregation, the whole congregation. And we see this. We're gonna see, we will see this in chapter 2, all of chapter 2, essentially. Five different groups are listed. Uh, for, uh, older men, older women, young women, young men, and usually bond servants, slaves are, are mentioned as well. It is, sound doctrine is for the people of the Christian community. It's for all of us. And 
And particularly, it's, it's used, uh, it kind of, even the word sound is mentioned in this particular section uh, twice. It's mentioned in chapter 2, verse 2. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in the faith, in love and perseverance. It's also mentioned in chapter 2, verse 8, of young men. Young men need to be sound in speech, healthy in their speech. That's really helpful. You know, young men, a lot of times their speech is just not very healthy. You know, right? I was a young man once, so... <laughs> I know how that is. <laughs> we just need to be sound in speech, sound in our dog, healthy in our speech. Okay? Speaking spiritual truths, speaking spiritual truths to the, our fellow brothers and sisters. The implication of all this is that sound doctrine is for the whole congregation, it's for everyone. In, and that also, surprisingly, to, includes false teachers, false teachers that are among us. We looked at this last week. False Titus chapter 1, verse 13. This testimony is true regarding the Cretans, right? The, who, whom Paul, Titus was ministering among. For this reason, remo- reprove them severely so they may be sound in the faith. And these are talking about the false teachers who are professing Christians. The ones who are part of us. They're part of us, but they're holding to some weird doctrine. Some unhealthy doctrine aberrant doctrine, they need to be reproved severely so that they may be sound, healthy in the faith. And how are they going to be reproved uh, so they can be sound? Well, with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is for false teachers. The problem why false teachers have fallen astray is because they somehow lost track of sound doctrine. They need to be, they need to hear it. So sound doctrine is for everyone. It's designed to bring spiritual health to all who hear it, from Paul to Timothy to Titus to the elders to the congregation and even to the false teachers. Oh, I almost left that one group. Unbelievers as well. Unbelievers. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. We looked at this already. We read about how these things, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, whether it's immoral men, homosexual kidnappers, all those sinners, it's ungodly people. It's designed... To bring salvation to those who hear it. When sound doctrine is preached, it reveals sin. It tells people that you're sick. Remember what Jesus said? It's not the, the, the healthy that need a physician. It's the what? It's the sick, right? It's the people who know that I'm diseased. I, I am dis- diagnosed with the, a terminal disease. That disease is sin. And I cannot do anything about it. It is going to destroy me. It is going to destroy my body. It's going to destroy my soul for eternity. And there's only, and therefore, I need to go find a physician. Right? You don't go to, see, no one goes to see a doctor unless you realize you're sick. <laughs> Some of us are so proud, even when we're sick, we don't go see a doctor, right? But you have to know you're sick before you bother to go see a doctor. Other doctors are like, what are you you know, you, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to let you see it, make an appointment. You got to be sick. You have to recognize it. And that's the case where all of us, we need sound doctrine because it shows us that we're sick. It shows us we need a, uh, particularly unbelievers that they need us, that they need to see a physician. They need the savior. We all need sound doctrine. But however, as you know, sometimes when I, when I was particularly a young Christian, I was foolish. I would say this kind of thing. And you probably heard other Christians say it. Something to the line of this. Well, you know, it really doesn't matter what doctrine you believe. You know, it's not, it's not really what doctrine. Doctrine is kind of divisive, you know. I'm really all about love. I'm all about love and just, we, we're just, 
we're big tent Christianity here. <laughs> just, we love everyone. Uh, you know, and, you know, you, you can be, an, and it's just, it's, you know, the idea, and I, to tell the truth, there, there's some, you know, because uh, there, there may be a little truth to that, okay, just a little, but that is a foolish way to think, to think that we don't need doctrine. What we need is just love. You cannot have love as Christians without doctrine. We can't, the, the very act of love is based upon sound doctrine for us as Christians, right? We, we can't even know what love is until we know the God who is love. And we can't love until we understand how God showed us love by sending us his son to the cross to die for our sins. We love because he first loved us. And then he tells us how to live, show that love, to love one another, to love our God, to love. You see, until you, this is all doctrine. It's the doctrine of God and who is love. We, you can't, you know, love apart from doctrine is basically just humanism veiled as Christianity. And that's, a, that's apostasy. That's heresy. That's not love. I mean, it's, it's good. In a sense, in, uh, kind of in a common way, it may be good. But what it does is this, it's love not for the glory of God. It's love for your glory, for man's glory. That we're just all going to get along. I'm going to make sure we all get along. It has to be, we must, as Christians, love for the sake of God. And this is based upon doctrine. We love because he first loved us. Sacrificial love is the doctrinal ground and motivation for our own love for others. So to love others, so we need to understand that you need doctrine. Doctrine drives our love, our actions, our behavior, our conduct. With, and that's why we, the theme of, of t- Titus is truth, that is doctrine, that leads to godliness, Christ-likeness. There's a third aspect of sound doctrine that I want us to consider today, and that is the how of sound doctrine. The how of sound doctrine. That is, how is sound doctrine to be disseminated, to be passed on, just to be spread about? We looked at the definition of sound doctrine. Uh, we looked at the, the who sound doctrine is des- designed for the design of sound doctrine. Now we look at the dissemination of sound doctrine. We return back to Titus chapter two, verse one, where we glean that fundamentally sound doctrine must be that which is it's spoken by the follower of Christ. It has to be spoken by the follower of Christ. We need to speak sound doctrine. Titus 2.1 asks for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Uh, this verb, speak, is a basic word. It just means to basically speak with our mouth. Open our mouth. Open your mouth and speak. But in this context, it carries a little further truth of not just, just talking, not just having conversation, but it's of asserting and proclaiming something. It's instructing, teaching. You could just basically say, speak here is synonymous with teach. Sound doctrine must be spoken by us to others. We are to declare its truth to others. Proclaim it as God gives opportunity. If you are a leader responsible for a class or a fellowship group or maybe a small group within this church, you must be speaking doctrine. You must speak sound doctrine. You know, we do many things in our different groups or classes, in our fellowship groups. It sure is nice when we get together, we sing songs of praise. It's nice when we get together, we share refreshments together, meals. 
other common experiences as brothers and sisters in Christ. We love to, we love to uh, play sports, go hiking, uh, play, play games together. But those in and of themselves, apart from sound doctrine, do not help the church grow. They do not help the church grow. You must speak sound doctrine through, as you do those things. Even I love, our, our, I love when our, our worship leaders, the various worship leaders leave here. And, you know, you could, we can all appreciate the music they choose. We can appreciate the, the, the giftedness that they have. But you know what I appreciate most when our, when our worship leaders lead and various team members lead? I love it when they pray and when they open their mouth and talk about the text, about the songs. Because they will draw me and speak to me sound doctrine that are found in the songs. They don't just presume I'm going to know it just by, you know, looking at it. You know, I'm just stuck on what a bulwark is. I don't know. I haven't thought about the rest of it. But sometimes they remind me, no, God's a mighty fortress. You know, they might say something. And so many times uh, um, I appreciate it. And when, it, if we're in our, uh, when we're going to have day camp in a little bit, hopefully you all will sign up for that. But those who do rec, you know, kids all love rec. They all love playing games. That's the favorite time of day camp. They all want to do it. But, you know, I appreciate those of our leaders who step in as rec leaders. They know that it's not just about playing games. They know that those recreation, those games are opportunities for them to speak about the lessons that are learned. That those games are designed to teach sound doctrine, truth about Christ. Every ministry, even refreshments, when we have refreshments, we can talk about spiritual truths around refreshments. It's designed for that. Sound doctrine must be spoken in our ministries. It has to be t- spoken about in the church. Is it spoken in your ministry? There's no sound doctrine, no sound words, no sound teaching. You know, church or minister doesn't do that, that doesn't regularly devote itself to speaking sound doctrine, you might as well just turn off the lights, shut the doors, put a closed sign, because that church is going to die. That's what's going to happen. That's the only thing. Sound doctrine is what causes the growth, so we need to speak it. Along the lines of speaking sound doctrine, we also need the church to exhort in sound doctrine. Exhort, and we read, we read this in Titus 1.9, the giftedness of an elder called to exhort in sound doctrine. He holds fast to the word from which he is able to exhort. He must be able to exhort, encourage, to live in accordance with it. It's not enough for the, the pastor, the teacher to read the text and then explain the text. There needs to be an exhortation to the text. I don't say, you know, it just says we, it, the Bible says we should speak sound doctrine. No, and that's not enough. I have to say, I have, my response is then to exhort you, say, each and every one of you out there, go and speak sound doctrine to someone this week. Speak the truth to somebody. Tell them about Christ. And they ask you, what, ask someone, hey, what'd you do this weekend? I love, that's the best opening. What'd you do this weekend? They'll say, well, no, nah, I did this. Blah, blah. Listen, then they'll ask you what? If they're thinking, what did you do this weekend? I went to church and I heard that I need to speak sound doctrine. Would you like to hear some? <laughs> that's pretty bold. That's, that's almost Leo bold. Not quite, but that's bold for me. Okay? But you could do that, especially if you know, you're working with them all the time. And they say, no, I'm not interested. Well, at least you tried. You know, there you tried. Okay, anyways. We need exhort and sound um, So, uh, we need to live out, to exhort in sound doctrine. That's all, those of us in the church. Thirdly, we need to reprove with sound doctrine. We saw this again, Titus 1.13. Uh, the need to reprove our fellow brothers and sisters when they fall into heresy and aberrant truth. 
we need to be corrected and restored to soundness in our faith when, when, we've gone astray, when people have gone astray. What would then they use to correct such false teaching? With sound doctrine. They must show ungodly teachers they err from Scripture. You know, it's not enough just to say, you know, just tell them, hey, you're a heretic. It's not enough just to say, well, I don't like you. It's not enough just to say, hey, you're wrong. We must show them from Scripture's how they have started teaching, how they are teaching contrary, or what they hold is contrary to God's sound doctrine. And so lastly, then critical to speaking, exhorting in, reproving then with sound doctrine, we need to, all of us need to hold to sound doctrine. We need to hold to sound doctrine. You are, the, the body of Christ is that which ultimately all of us, every member of the body holding to sound doctrine is that which protects the church. You know, a pastor, a single person can go off the, just go off the deep end. Next week, I stand up there and say, all of us, we all need to believe in alligator. I'm like, whoa, you know. And you would say, what? what? What's that? I mean, you, I hope you would all say, no, that, they, you'd start going, they all just say, uh, I think Pastor Henry's teaching heresy. But, as, I mean, but the, elders don't do, if the elders don't do anything, then the rest of you are going to rise up and say, that man's teaching heresy. Because we all, and so how are we going to do that? Well, we first all need to retain, 2 Timothy 1.13, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. That's the hold. Hold on to this. Guard it. It's in the context of this. Uh, it was read in our uh, call to worship today. This idea of this, we've been entrusted with this truth. We need, and it must be guarded. God will make sure it's guarded, but we have a responsibility to guard it. And this pattern, this standard which we've we received, which Timothy had received from Paul, Paul is... Timothy is then to teach that to others. A pattern, and Titus then was eventually, for Titus, he is to set that pattern for the church in Crete. Timothy was to set that pattern for the, churches in, the church in Ephesus. And so on, and so down the ages, even to our age. The sound words that you have been taught are to be retained, preserved, and through, preserved through teaching it and trusting it to others. I love watching children in this church. I love watching them. And not only because I have kids now and I, I can rejoice in them, but I love it because I know that each and every one of them is God's means through which the treasure of the gospel is going to be retained. When we teach it to, the net, to our children, they're going to take it. They're going to preserve it because they're going to, in the general course of life, they're going to outlive us. And there are people that they're going to come in contact with that we will never come into contact with because we'll be in glory, I trust. But that is how that treasure, the gospel, we passed on. And so we have a great responsibility to hold a sound doctrine and then by holding it, we really were entrusting it to others. Boom. Sound doctrine. This is the how. How are we to disseminate it? To speaking it then. We're to speak it to others. We are to... Exhort it. We are to reprove others with it. And most importantly, or, and lastly, we are to hold to it. Hold to it. These are basically then a survey. Uh, pretty, I think, pretty straightforward, I think. But hopefully now you're convinced. If you, if you weren't ever sure about what sound doctrine is, what, who is sound doctrine for, and how we're to go about uh, proclaiming sound doctrine, well, you, you should know by now. You know, I, this week, uh, as I was listening to the Shepherds Conference uh, on kind of online, I searched this quickly, looked at the schedule to see if the 
they had offered any, because I was curious, I knew they wouldn't, but I, at least I suspected they wouldn't. <laughs> if they offered any general sessions or seminars on basically uh, how to grow your church, you know, or how to grow your youth ministry, or how to, uh, uh, five methods for growing a, a larger church, or five, six steps towards increasing godliness in your congregation. You know, they don't have stuff like that. Though I think, you know, if they had a conference like that, they probably could, you know, probably sell more tickets, but... Because it's just like, those are real practical things people are looking for. However, though they did not offer any such, such sessions, such seminars, all the men there walked away with a very clear answer of how to grow the church that they have been entrusted with. How to promote growth in their local church through their ministry, through what they can do the answer was summarized by the theme, the three-word theme of the conference. Does anyone know what it is? We preach Christ. Exactly. We preach Christ. That is the theme. That was the theme of the conference. That, that was the greatest, most important exhortation that all of those pastors could walk away with. That what we do as pastors, as shepherds, as elders, is to preach Christ. And when you preach Christ, you are preaching sound doctrine. You're preaching truth that leads to godliness. You're preaching truth that produces a health in the body. Because we're not the physicians. Christ is the physician. We cannot save anyone. Only Christ can save them. And when we preach Christ faithfully, and we teach about Jesus Christ, we teach about what he did, crucified, who he was, Lord, that that will cause us, the people here, to realize if Christ was crucified for my sins, and that's the punishment for sins, then if I'm a believer in Christ, I want to love him more. Because as our brother, Pastor Roger, pointed out, it is a deep ministry. It is a, a, a mystery that we cannot grasp. Why would he do this for us? Why did he choose me from eternity past for this great salvation? I do not know why. It's nothing about me. It's purely for his glory. And when we hear Christ Jesus our Lord, as Lord, it means, therefore, that we must obey, that we must want to glorify and honor him. And so if we're going to want to glorify and honor him, want to be more like him, then we will speak sound doctrine that promotes the growth of the church. Well, that's all the time we have. And that's the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the word. The word of sound doctrine that's found within. And Lord, I know that in this body, we would all probably just give a head, a knowledge with our head that yes, we're, we want to teach sound doctrine. We're about sound doctrine. We believe in sound doctrine. But Lord, help us as a people to not just acknowledge that with our minds, but that we would do it with our lives. That we would open our mouths and speak sound doctrine. That we would exhort others in sound doctrine that we would hold to our sound doctrine, that we would reprove others with sound doctrine. Help us to speak always of Christ. To teach all of your scriptures so that those who hear in this, in this body as well as outside this church may know of the great salvation that is provided for us in Christ. That we would be people who 
who come to know Christ as Savior, grow in our love for him, our love for you, grow in our desire to be more like Christ, that he might be honored. These things we pray, Father, for your glory, and may you use it to build your church. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you this week as you go forth. You are dismissed.